Welcome back to the Cock and Ball podcast, so what you look at all things Spurs and their time it takes to walk from seven sisters to White Hart Lane. I'm Tom, aka Ben, and I'm a very patient man. Uh, but joining me tonight is a man who barely waits for the ref to give a foul before disagreeing with him. It's Ash. Who the fuck said that? No way. <laughs> <laughs> and alongside him tonight is a man who is so impatient that he has to dry himself as quickly as possible after the shower, which generally involves getting the bathroom floor absolutely soaked. Yes, living with you was very fun. It's Jules. <laughs> Happy Friday, mate. Glad to see I've left a torrent of good memories only. <laughs> yeah. And finally, we have a man who waits uh, for me to invite him to the pub and then declares that he's self-isolating. It's Jim. <laughs> Salute. Uh, <laughs> I just came up with an elaborate excuse not to spend time with you, but here I am. Yeah, fair play. Anyway, we said at the end of last season that we'd be back periodically over the summer to bring our thoughts of uh, any new faces at Spurs. 72 days later, we finally have something to talk about. It's the dawn of a new season. It's going to be a new look for us. It's going to be a new era for Tottenham as we begin uh, Nuno Espirito Santo's brand new reign. Uh, Jules, is it true we essentially went through nine managers before settling on one that had been available for weeks? Yes. <laughs> it was it, it was embarrassing and long-winded and I'm pretty sure we all predicted at the start that we would do something a bit like this um but we did pick up a director of football along the way so I feel like you know I'm I'm not happy with how long it took but we at least got the right people in eventually the, the way it went was quite funny it was almost like um Fabio Baradicu was just trying to prove a point to Daniel Levy it's like oh so you want someone attacking Fuck it, here's Fonseca, all he does is attack. No one's going to like him because no one knows who he is. All he does is attack. And then oh, he pulls the plug at the last second just to say, see, I told you it weren't going to work. And then, I don't know what Catuzo was about. Jesus fucking Christ. Like, I don't know yeah, what... It was fun though, wasn't it? Yeah, that yeah. Was, that was uh, peak woke. It yeah, was it was. It was like a peak bit... woke Twitter and then like the hardcore bunch of Twitter who hate the wokest all coming together to cancel someone with a hashtag. Yeah, it was really weird to see, how can I put this in a way that isn't going to get me cancelled? It's weird <laughs> to see people that wouldn't you wouldn't normally associate with being right on, should we put it that way, suddenly taking issue with the things that Gennaro Gattuso said in the past. <laughs> yeah, the same sort of people that booed players taking the knee were against getting Gattuso in because of historical comments, which is like, is that really the reason you're saying no? But... We ended up with the guy that we all thought we were going to get the moment he left Wolves. It was sort of just a protracted <laughs> fast. We obviously we put out a picture of the Tottenham Stadium with a, uh, you know, with the roof of a circus. It really did feel like a circus for most of that. Yeah, what was but, really weird about it is there's nothing particularly unusual about managerial appointments going on like they did. But normally at most functioning, well-gone football clubs, they tend to be. Uh, a lot less protracted, like you'd expect it to go on for maybe a month at the most rather than nearly three. Uh, and how public it was. Like it's it's not unusual for a club to end up on their eighth or ninth choice manager because they can't get the others. But it's leakier than a sieve, that place. And we found out about every <laughs> single thing. <laughs> they just didn't really have that much of a plan. And I think we'll get it. We'll get into what people think of Nuno. I think we all we all slightly are on the same page, but maybe disagree a little bit but I, I can't help but think if we'd just gone for Nuno in the first place uh, everybody would have been bouncing and going this is actually quite a good appointment but because it's obvious that he's like choice number eight or nine 
uh, it's maybe left people feeling a little bit flat. All I say is, thank God it's over. Mm. I mean, you use a boxing analogy. It's like you being in a boxing match and you thinking, just stop me out, please, please. <laughs> I just want this to end. There's nine more rounds and I can't be asked. And I'm just, I'm just glad it's an end to the speculation. And there was a, there was a lot of dividedness and bitterness on social media about who, who we should get. And it was all getting a bit tiring. And I'm quite glad now we can just go right. It's decided. Let's move on. Speaking of moving on, is anyone else sick of Tottenham using the word DNA as I am? Fucking hell. (laughs) Every other sentence is Tottenham DNA this. It's like, we haven't had a DNA since the 60s, for goodness sake. What are you talking about? Define your DNA. (laughs) I know what my DNA is. It's why I'm ginger. I can can pretty much define that sort of side to to, to my characteristics of why I can't go outside in any sort of fake sunlight. But (laughs) no one can define the Spurs DNA. I mean, if anything, it's just one giant bottle. <laughs> you know when you get a when you get a ship in a bottle. Yeah. It's like well, the Spurs DNA is just a bottle in a bottle. It's like yeah. Russian dolls, <laughs> just bottles. <laughs> Should we talk about Nuno then? I think I've seen the same sort of videos everyone else has in doing our research, but there was a lot of talk from Paradicir and from uh, you know from journalists about. The reason we brought in Nuno was for his adaptability. So, you know, I've taken a look back and, yeah, you know, he's he's used a lot of different formations. So you're 4-3-3, 4-4-2 at some point, 4-2-3-1, especially when we go back to his a uh, his time at Valencia, Porto and Leo Alva. But the thing that stays the same really is the tactics. They don't shift that much. So we'll see who, however, it's free at the back or or four at the back, whether it's three in midfield or just the two centre mids, they tend, they generally are the defensive block. So they will stay firm and they will hold their shape and um, they won't venture too far forward. So you, you don't see many centre mids from Nuno's and Spirit Santos teams get many assists or get many goals unless they're sort of screamers from uh, Nuno uh, from Neves. So... The, the, the pressing and the attacking intent comes from the wide areas and the forwards. You will see whether it's, again, whether it's two up front or three up front, they're generally asked to do the most of the pressing. So they will press the, the back line and the holding midfielders from the, from the opposite team. And then the fullbacks will be expected to then put the pressure up wide and either win the ball back or force them inside where you've got that solid base. And then, again, we, we try to move, or he tries to move the ball out to the width and hopefully, whether he's got wingers or or, four, or just wing backs, they're the they're the biggest traitor source for Nuno's size. And to be fair, that generally does suit the type of players we have. I don't know if you agree, Jules. Yeah, I, I think it does. I also think being adaptive is really important when you can't afford to be idealistic, <laughs> which we can't. Like I, I know I know that sounds obvious, but like if you've got to rely on okay well who's coming through in our youth team maybe you've got exceptional wingers one generation or you know wing backs or sentiment you know you've got to kind of play to who you've got because we can't afford to do a clock or a pep where they kind of throw their toys out the pram and go no you must go buy me my players like i don't care what you have to spend because we're not going to do that so adaptive is probably a really important trait we're going to have to be as a club and if he's comfortable with that as a manager that's a really positive, uh, positive, positive way of being. I think it really did make me smile about the the adaptive style of play, which like we've got to bear in mind as a word or uh, as a description of a style. I can't picture adaptive. 
and we, we, we've just had a very how you may describe pragmatic maybe adaptive manager you basically but you've got to be adaptive to be able to pot to piss in that so uh, <laughs> deal with what I, you've got and start do, try and do some more goals and I don't, I don't think though Mourinho was adaptive. Mourinho was dogmatic in his in his assholery. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the more accurate way. Of, it's, it's, yeah. It was it was quite interesting though to see like adaptive being used as like a pejorative as something to beat Nuno with. And Jules is right; it's exactly what you need at Spurs because you can't go out and get the best players. And unless you are a moron, you're not going to go up against City and not adapt your game to try and nullify their threats it, it just feels like a good fit like ash said he is defensive first and foremost but something about his teams is every single player has meticulous detail like he's the one thing that he uh, kind of upholds in his discipline is he he expects every player not to be world beaters he forgives mistakes he's quite uh, quite willing to accept that things go wrong but he does expect his players to know exactly what they're doing where they should be on the pitch if you look at wolves over the last three years where we've been in the premier league they tend to be very good at keeping their shape they're very very disciplined in that respect and that's why even though they are defensive it can be quite exhilarating like last season wasn't great for Wolves but the first two seasons they were in the Premier League under him they were exhilarating they were exciting because they attack they counter-attacked so well because they stuck to their shape their shape and it, that allowed them the freedom then particularly in second halves of games to go out and uh, kind of go for it a little bit more and that's what I'd expect from Spurs next season I'd expect certainly in the first halves of games whether it's against City or Norwich, the first half of games will generally be compact, possibly even a little bit laboured. But he, what he tries to do first and foremost is compete and be in the game. And I think when you listen to his press conferences and uh, his post-matches and what have you, he talks all the time about competing. And as long as you're in the game, you stand a chance of getting something out of it. You know, he's, he's the kind of coach that would take a nil-nil at 85 minutes because you're still in with a chance of getting something. And if you look at, I haven't got them to hand, but if you look at uh, Wolves' stats over the last two years, they've scored twice as many goals in the second half of games as the first half, because they set themselves up to stay in it, and then the second half they go for it. You're not going to see this kind of swashbuckling, City-esque football, but you are going to see those big games, like we said with Jose, what was supposed to happen with Jose is you would look forward to the big games. It never happened. With Nuno, I think you really can. Thing we've had with Jose, and I think this is what's probably worrying a lot of Tottenham fans, is that we were bored to death with a sort of ultra low block and just one attacking plan, which was get the ball to Kane. Either he does something magic on his own or he passes to Son. That was the one one attacking outlet, one sort of pattern that we actually had. But with Nuno, what you would say about his wolf sides is when they saw score goals, they're bloody good goals. Mm. And they can get goals from uh, a range of areas, whether that be the, you know, the, the two or three forwards or, or the wing backs. And I'm looking forward to seeing more more triangle play um, in the wide areas, dragging defend, um, defenders out of position rather than just... Dis- I should like even root wild. I don't know what you can describe it under Josie. It was just fucking murder ball, wasn't it? But it was with it was without a plan. That was the problem. Yeah. There, there, was, there was no kind of cohesion to it. Whereas 
uh, I think it's quite easy with Nuno to to go, oh, he's a defensive coach and he's Portuguese, therefore he's like Jose. <laughs> he, he's not. Uh, his teams always have this kind of cohesion, and I think part of that comes from uh, from his kind of personal traits, which are very very different to to Jose. He's he's quite a he's not a dour figure, but he's quite private. He doesn't give much away. Um, and I was having a look through kind of some of his previous records and at, at, at Valencia, at Porto, at Wolves, the players that played under him had this kind of perfect blend of respect for him and wanting to play for him, but they weren't friends. Jim, you talk about the, the kind of the relationship he has with his players. And I think it'll be interesting to see. I think he certainly will bring more more positivity to the group and to the environment and and it was noticeable that his players he never threw his players under the bus and equally they always had a lot of respect for him and that seems like you know the players will will be happy with that equally he must be happy because you mentioned he relied on having two or three pretty high quality players who would usually be almost like the game changers for them so they had in particular I think the second season they had Jota, Traore um, and I've got the strikers Jimenez and really, the, their drop-off comes because Jota's sold. Traore gets into a contract and a squabble and gets dropped and then doesn't do anything for 40 games. And, and, Jimenez, and, and Jimenez ends up you know, having one of the most horrific, you know, sickening injuries that I think any of us have seen. So, and they had you, you a tiny at, squad as well last year. And, and particularly to do that during COVID off the back of, I think they'd had technically like one of the longest seasons of any club ever. Because they, they were one of the only clubs to go from the preliminary qualifiers for the Europa League all the way to like the semi-final, I think, or the final even they reached. So they were mentally destroyed and exhausted before the world of COVID hit a group of about 14 senior players, one of whom got sold, one of whom had a contract problem, and the other of whom cracked his skull. 13th with all that, it actually seems maybe we should give them a bit more respect for that achievement. Yeah. First two seasons in the Premier League, beat Spurs twice, beat City twice, beat United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, FA Cup semi-final, quarter-final of the Europa League. For Wolves, that's a really good achievement. I don't think you should be on a downer with it. And look at, um, you know, the the calibre of coach that has done well at at clubs like Spurs, including Spurs, are coaches that have been at places that aren't as sexy. Hotch came from Southampton, you know. I personally think, for what it's worth, had Spurs got Conte, it would have been a disaster. And I, I just get the feeling this is going to be a good fit. I don't know what you think, Fed. I agree with a lot of what has been said so far. I mean, he's, he's a delegator, isn't he? You talk about how he's, he is quite a private figure, but he, he also absolutely loves being on the training ground. He, he would dedicate as much time to getting out there as possible, which I think a lot of players would appreciate. And he works as a coach. He's not a manager. So he, he will suit this new system we have with a, with a director of football where he knows that he's got to work with the players uh, that he's that hand is dealt with, essentially. Uh, he can't throw his toys out of the pram if he doesn't get to sign so-and-so. But as a good delegator, he should build a very good team around him. I don't know a great deal about his, his backroom staff, but although he'll be a, you know, quite a hard man to please, but also, like you say, one of those guys where you're kind of a little bit fearful of him but when when he gives you that nod like you did all right today oh my god that means so much just, <laughs> even if he barely compliments you you're like oh my god he said it he said i did okay 
but he's, you know, he, he will have coaches around him that can do the arm around the shoulder and, and that kind of thing to kind of really, really gel with the players. And yeah, I'm probably more positive about it than, than yeah. some people are. Some people are very underwhelmed, but firstly, we need to remember who we are. Probably can get over <laughs> ourselves quite a bit. And secondly, we just got to accept that it, he's, he's not that bad. It's like, he, he, okay, yeah, he's been a bit defensive for Wolves and he's been counter-attacking because he's the manager of Wolverhampton Wanderers. Like, <laughs> they've, they've just had to come up from the championship. Like, how else the bottom half teams, mm. you know, be successful? Like, look at the, I know the Burnley model is quite extreme, but that's how they have to survive. It's pragmatic. And I hate that word because it reminds me of a certain previous manager we had. But this time he's going to have attacking players that are genuinely world-class. Like, mm. you know, it, he was gifted and very fortunate to have Jota. Traore, in my opinion, is overrated. He's, he's essentially a he's a he's a beefy Bergvine, and he? he's just <laughs> if, if Bergvine, you know, went to the gym quite a bit, that's all. I mean, he lubricates their arms. Get over yourself. Whilst he sets up his team to be solid in defence, that doesn't necessarily mean, or it doesn't necessarily lead to dour, boring football. I mean, some of our best football under Pochettino was when we were counter-attacking teams. And we were getting the ball quickly and attacking with pace and getting getting teams on the fast break. And that's not something that we saw too often recently or even towards the end of Poch's reign. So whilst we might not have 60, 70 percent of the ball, it doesn't mean that we're we're not going to have an attacking intent. Uh, if, if you attack with pace and with with options, then, you know, you can still be beautiful football to watch. I mean, a lot of people are, are talking about the Italian team at the moment in, in the nationals and in the Euros. And again, their best football is when they're on the counter-attack. And, you know, that's, that's fantastic to watch, especially if it's an Italian. Um, and just another positive point, I, I guess it's not not really for us, but um, I think he's become our first uh, our first permanent manager who's, who's non-white. So for a lot of people in a community as diverse as Tottenham, that is huge. And, I mean, for us, it won't mean anything because it's just another manager that we hope is good enough. But in terms of representation and what it could mean for um, black and, uh, you know, other minority ethnic groups out there, it's just really positive. And I really do hope, we, you know, he, he he does well for us. Mm, that's a good point, Ash, actually. And, um, like, a, a couple of other things that that, are, that kind of bode well is that he he's obviously a very intelligent guy. He speaks six languages, amongst them French, which is important for Spurs' current squad and obviously Portuguese and English and Spanish so that's good he, there's there's lots of tales recounted from people from his time at Wolves that he would obviously conduct the vast majority of his uh, instructions and a, anything to do with the team in English but if there was something he really needed to get across to a particular player he he's not afraid to use their first tongue to try and kind of hammer that point home and not let it get lost in translation um, but I, I was just looking at some the way he did things at Wolves, kind of different to the continent, because particularly at places like Valencia and Porto, they culturally tend to have like really huge squads and turnovers quite a bit different to certainly in England. Um, we recorded a pod last week, which will never see the light of day because I forgot to edit it. And now, <laughs> uh, But we were talking about how whoever the manager or the coach was going to be, was going to be somebody that had to, recognize what he was coming into in terms of uh, sure having money but not having kind of untold riches and needing to be able to develop players uh, and bring them on to be better 
Matt Doherty is a, an interesting one. I'm not sure he's a better footballer now than when he left Wolves. But when he joined Wolves, he wasn't as good a footballer as when he left Wolves. And he speaks very highly of Nuno. I think it's a it's good that there's a player that's played under him at Spurs. But then, you know, look at some of Spurs, uh, sorry, some of Wolves' other players like Connor Cody, Raul Jimenez, Adama Traore, Pedro Neto. They're all players that they're not world class by any means. They're not even necessarily second tier players, but they're good, solid players that have been developed. And it feels like that is that bodes well for some of the players that have come out of Spurs Academy, some of the younger players like Rodon, Tanganga, that are already in the squad that need that little bit of tweaking and just kind of opportunity to grow as players and as people. Uh, and he might be quite a good fit for that because he's anti-Jose in terms of, you know, recognising that players are going to make, make make mistakes. And so um, I, I, if I was a Spurs fan, I'd actually be really, really positive about this point. And I appreciate that in a year's time, I might look like a total tit. But nobody's to know, is that? And, and then nobody knows how these things go. And you, yeah. you can only wish for the best, really. Yeah. Even with Ash's point about the defence, like, you know, he's just going to teach us how to defend. We need that. We, we, we really need that. The one thing we can't do is defend. And, like, you know, even when we, we talk about like the peak Potts era and when we were really counter-attacking, just because Potts was able to make us defend, it was very rare that we'd conceded a goal in sort of the peak times of Patongan and Aldebaro. We need those days back because, you know, you, you can't win football matches that way, as we've seen. Otherwise, you just finish seventh. So it's, it's going to be great to have someone who can bring that sort of level of coaching back to this squad again. And I think it would be really good for the players that you've touched on to actually develop them in that way. And I look at the, the players that are at our disposable and I look at the system that Nuno wants to bring in. And I think... Yeah, actually, you could really thrive here. I mean, people, like Jules, you get really excited about Sessignon quite a lot, partly because he plays a lot for Fulham or did. I could see him doing fitting into that sort of wing-back role probably really well within Nuno's system. Yeah, I, th- I think Sessignon will fit in really well. Doherty, naturally, I think we can all see he's a good wing-back. He's not really a good right-back. Aurier is arguably safer the further away from your own goal he is. Um, <laughs> like just as a, and we've got quite a lot of young centre backs who actually have some promise. And like you know, Ben Davies is probably a better left of a back three than he is as a left back. So it might be one of those things that works. But equally, Nuno might play a back four. You know, we don't we don't mm. we don't know. And there's a good flexibility. But I think the important thing is we judge him just fairly and give him time and patience as a fan base. I mean, we, we've spoken about Nuno needing or doing well with working with what he has, but it's quite clear that a rebuild is needed. And obviously, we've already got our dig in there on Winks, who is just fucking dog shit and hopefully going to Villa. But... Um, That's a really bit cool. harsh on Villa. <laughs> <isn't it>? yeah. <laughs> Very harsh on Villa, I think. Yeah, well, you know, I've hopefully, I think our biggest signing of the summer so far has been Paradici coming in from Juve. Whoa, 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 is, whoa. You keep saying this word. Yeah. Yeah, let me slow it down, right? So instead of the the laymen like us, uh, uh, to clarify for the listener who's thinking, who 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 is this sort of (laughs) blur that he keeps talking about? I would go, yeah, it's Paratici, mate. Yeah, don't fucking say Paratici. Does that mean something else? So Paratici instead of Paratici. Okay. So anyway, he comes in from Juve. Chance for it. You ruined my chance because I was trying to get it into that. 
Lady Gargoyle's paparazzi because it rhymes <laughs> with Paratici. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. Because <laughs> it's Paratici. Paratici, no. No, Paratici. Ash, let me, Ash, let me ask you this. You, you earlier talked about, and I think it's a perfect description of us this summer, of the, the tent from the circus being over the stadium. That was how it felt. <laughs> is Paratici not the perfect ringmaster? Because if there is a man, there is a businessman in football who's as adaptive as Nuno is supposedly tactically, it's got to be the man who's just done free signings and cheap signings for a decade at Juventus. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be a massive test because a club like Tottenham isn't really a sort of club that he's been at before. So before Juve, he was at Sampdoria, which is a very different system. They know exactly where they stand in, in Serie A and the sort of players that they can attract and move on. And Juve, obviously, you know, the old lady are one of the biggest clubs in the world. And at Tottenham, we like to think we're one of the biggest clubs in the world. But actually, we're, we're not. So, you know, we're, we haven't really got that. So it's going to be interesting to see how he adapts to what we have, how he adapts to having a chairman like Daniel Levy, who, as much as he said, he's going to hand over the football reins to Paradici. I don't I don't see it. Um, he's, all gonna, he's still going to have to sign everything off, isn't he? And... He, it's just a man like that who's had that sort of stranglehold on every decision at a football club doesn't just let it go. But he's known very well for picking up young talent specifically. So obviously most recently we've been linked with this young Japanese, Tomiyasu. Mm. So, I mean, a lot we've been talking about it a lot. It's, it's, it's strange how got, uh, it's strangely got a lot of mixed reports or let me just say reaction on Twitter we, we always talk about wanting to make signings like Leicester and then we try to make a signing like Leicester and everyone's like who's he who's he's not good enough blah 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 <laughs> yeah. I was having a look at uh, Tommy Yasu before and it actually looks like that there's, that kid's got a bit of potential he's like everything we talked about about adaptability kind of fits here he's 22 so he's got huge growth potential uh he can play in a couple of positions he's center half he can play it right back uh he's athletic and tall and good in the air very good at kind of spatially and tactically knowing his position, knowing what he needs to do, which is exactly the kind of player that would fit from what we know with Nuno. And a good passer of the ball. I had a look at his stats and he completed 86% of his passes for, for Bologna last season. And no disrespect to Bologna, but they're not big hitters in Serie A. So, yeah. um, One thing I would say on that as well is as much as Serie A is different to the Premier League, and you will get a lot of people make, saying, oh, it's, it's not the same. You, can't, you know, he needs to adapt. Obviously, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was trying to fucking avoid. Um, <laughs> if you can defend in Serie A and you can defend well in Serie A, you can defend anywhere. It is arguably the most tactical league there is. Um, but it is changing. It's becoming more pressing. So, it's you know, it's it's got that mix of physicality and pressing that the Premier League has, but it's still incredibly tactical. So that learning curve that he would have undertaken would be massive for his career and to have done that for so young mm. and already put in the amount of performance he's got. You know, he's, he's a guy with a big potential and if we can get him in for, what's the report, it's like 17 million quid, then it's worth a punch, surely. I think even less than that. I think it was 70 million euros. Yeah. So and, and twenty two is a really good age to get a centre half. I think what it seems like Paratici's sort of two two kind of styles are when it comes to signings. He either signs smart players young for surprisingly little cash. So maybe this falls into one of those deals. And I think 
you know, Pogba was a free, but he also brought in uh, Icardi at Sampdoria before Icardi went on to then, you know, really blossom. Um, Kingsley Coman um, yeah. at, at Juventus. Um, but then so he's also... So did you just say Sampdoria? Yeah. Sampdoria. You are actually Sampdoria. Italian. Can you, can you just take the lead on this? I mean, don't Sampdoria. Me in particular. There we go. I am, yeah. I am ignorant to how you speak. You keep seeing Syria, and I'm thinking, what, like the war-torn Northern African country? <laughs> talking, about, talking about the Italian league. But yeah. the but the other the other signing that he'll sometimes make is he'll he'll sign someone out of contract who's a little bit older, who maybe the you know um, free agent is kind of coming up, and Kadira, Danny Alves, Ramsey. Antonio Cassano again and you know okay, so he's yeah Pirlo so he's, he's he's done that quite a bit I wonder if there's people particularly in the sort of post-covid footballing world it might be a really good skill set to be able to see which players are at the richest clubs who are going to leave on freeze Unless have maybe got free, isn't he <laughs> well the thing is like which, which clubs have got players going and it's like actually you could squeeze two really good years out of them yeah, although the antidote to that is signing players that you can get two good years out of is is not what Spurs want to be doing, I don't think. That's just not a recipe for success. But interesting that Nuno is on a two-year contract, which is financially prudent, I guess, in the current climate, because if it does go wrong, you can bin him off after a year without having to pay too much. And also, Poch's contract runs out in two years. It seems that the stars are aligning. <laughs> But I think, yeah, I, mean, the only... I think it's a perfect length, though, because two years, if we get to the end of the year and it's not worked out, then you just say, right, you know, you, you've got one more year. You know, what can we learn out of this? How can we develop players? If he does well after a year, then you, you know, you're, you're for an extension. You know, two years is actually quite a, quite a good setup because essentially it means you're making a decision after 12 months and we'll know a hell of a lot about Nuno after 12 months. Yeah. Yeah, well, bringing it back to um, Paradici, I mean, the only criticism that he ever really got over his career is that he'll be maybe find it hard to shift players on and that's something that Tottenham have found difficult but I think we found it difficult for different reasons and the reason why Tottenham have struggled is because we put these ridiculous expectations on the amount of money we're going to receive for a player Daniel Levy likes to squeeze every single penny out of a buying team as he can I think it was more difficult at Juve was because he had these declining players on these massive wages, like your Higuains, for example, um, or Ramsey. Now they struggle to get they're struggling to move him on because of his wages and his injury record. So it's it's a it's a very different mix. He's going to have players that we we don't pay pay players that much. So moving them on in that respect should be easier. And with the contacts he has, hopefully we can drum up a bit of interest and and get some of these players out. And I see it being. Um, a good a good mix someone who understands football understands what you need to win and um, a team that is a, a sleeping giant once once we can get all the crowds back and we can start actually making the stupid money we can make from the stadium I think we've there is the possibility there to go big if we um if we play our cards right I mean by sounds things we, we, we fixed it it's all done it's fine again <laughs> that's a long it's, way to it's go all back, it's all back to normal <laughs> Um, and back to normal, I mean back to average. Um, if, <laughs> if, you know, we know it's a very slow market right now. And no one's really, no one's really buying or selling. It's just kind of, I don't know, tumbleweed across Europe, partly because we're all just enjoying the Euros. 
if there was one position mm. that you could put at the top of his inbox for, for, for Spurs, what would be your one position? I think if anyone says anything other than centre back, then they haven't been watching Tottenham for the last two years. So we we need. I mean, there's rumours that we are looking to bring two in, and I hope for God that we do, because it's just a it's just a mess. And I don't know if it was just overexposed by Jose's incredibly deep block and trying to win games out by being the better team defensively, but yeah, Jesus Christ, we need centre backs. Yeah. It has got to be centre half. That's that's got to be the top priority. But that's a question that you can't really answer until the Kane situation is dealt with, because that changes the complexion not only of Spurs' squad profile but the amount of money that's available. So it's probably one to revisit in a few weeks' time. But I wouldn't be overly concerned about the market being sluggish at the moment because that's perfectly normal given that it's a an international year. Um, the market is always slow in international years and we've maybe forgotten that slightly because there hasn't been one for three years but things will start to move when uh you know in in two weeks time when the euros are done players return the the focus kind of switches again um and there's there's been quite a lot of uh, sort of managerial turnover um across europe which also slows down the market because clubs want to get their man in before they start dismantling and rebuilding their squads so uh, it's a it's a little bit early yet i know people are starting to get tetchy and go, oh the, the season only starts in a month but well, yeah it does but I like spurs to be patient <laughs> the patience is important though it's like if if spurs finish next season seventh under nuno not to panic um you know, Nuno Spurs the third it. manager in less than less than two years, and uh, from experience all over the place, changing managers regularly is a strategy that doesn't work. With Chelsea being the exception that proves the rule. Uh, so, a bit of patience with the squad, a bit of patience with the manager. Everything probably will be fine. I think. I think, I think the only reason that it's it's in my my mind is that I got asked to join a fantasy football division today, and I was just like. <laughs> That can't be fucking right. Like, like we can't be at the <laughs> point of the year where I've got to look through and decide. Yeah. You know, like I was just like, this is too early. This is too yeah, it's early. A it's a month. Yeah. It's kickstarted the nerves. That's all. Kickstarted <laughs> my nerves. What? So just quickly, what we obviously mentioned there the the priority position, but Tom, at the end, if what would you think is a fantastic transfer window come the end? What sort of positions? A total do you think need to be addressed for us to look back and go yeah but we've done everything we can there you're definitely right at centre back you're definitely right that we need to realistically sign two centre backs probably an inexperienced one with you know someone with a bit of proven class I think I've said that before um, it's quite it's quite clear that Aurier <laughs> needs to be moved on uh, I think we can all agree that uh, and we you know Doherty might actually be a, a pretty decent um, number two at right wing back under Nuno, but we do need a, a proper right back, like an, an, an actual right back, not just a, a wing back. So that that's definitely priority number two for me. And the the Kane situation is a massive one. Jim's absolutely right. We we need to be absolutely sure because obviously if he goes, you need to find a marquee striker. So they're not easy to come by. And you think, well, who's available? And if you know that you've sold Kane for a silly amount then clubs look at you and go well we, we we know you've got a silly amount of money because you've sold into a club who can stump up the cash like that so it, it could create an interesting dynamic um 
but outside of the defence, I think we're in a fairly good position. You know, central midfielders, you know, Skip will come back, he can replace Winks. Um is having a fantastic Euros and Shows what happens when you have a week mm. break, for goodness sake. Yeah, <laughs> and Dombele's had some time off and hopefully he's using that to get fit. Um, Le Celso is getting some good game time, which he needs to just get a bit of form in uh, in the Copa America in, uh, for Argentina. So central midfield, I'm probably all right. Obviously, some might sign a new contract. Fantastic. Oh, that's Maybe been signed since December. Yeah, 100%. allegedly. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure that that'll happen. Maybe we're just one attacker short because obviously Bale's gone, probably not going to come back. Um, between Bergbine, Lamella, and Moira, we couldn't make our minds up whether combined they'd actually still be good enough to start regularly anyway. Uh, so I think we, we've probably won, whether it's like a, a sort of a winger kind of attacker or a creative 10 kind of style attacker, mm. maybe both, is probably the, the last place where I think we need to look at. That where can we where can we strengthen here? Who who can we bring in? Who's that kind of build? You look at someone like Pedro Neto and the role he does at Wolves, and you think can we find that sort of player, or do we just go and sign Pedro Neto himself? Um, wouldn't be against that either. So we definitely need some quality there, but we also need you know we need other transfers to go through. We need we need a property ladder to to get going. We need a chain to get some of the directs out the door as quickly as possible. Planning news, boys. You know, I like my planning news. Have you seen that Spurs have made a, a signing already this season in White Webb's golf course, which is right next to the training ground? Um, me and Ash, and for, sort of from those ends, we know it fairly well, mainly by the, the Toby Carvery, uh, <laughs> which is probably the nicest setting for a Toby Carvery I've ever seen. It's a, it's a decadent... Does the uh, setting make up for the quality of the Toby Carvery? <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> or are yeah, they? Are, it does. It's are they like sort of directly linked that as the setting gets worse in a Toby Carvery, the food gets better? I kind of believe that exists somehow. <laughs> you want to find the shittest looking Carvery because that will have the best, the best potatoes, basically. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But I mean, obviously, the cynical side of me thinks have we just bought a golf course to get Bale back on loan again? Um, but, <laughs> By the looks of it, uh, they're actually going to redevelop the site completely. It's a bit of a red herring. The golf course probably will be closed. I didn't realise how much money the golf course was losing. And it's owned by Enfield Council. And it was costing them like a million pounds a year just to run it. They, they were just running it at a loss. So they, they put it out to tender. Uh, Spurs have won. And some of the things that there is a brochure out there, if you can go and look it up, uh, of what Spurs were planning to do with it. It, it looks fairly impressive in fairness. Obviously, they're going to. They're going to set up an academy for, for the women's team, like their own dedicated space, which will be good. But um, I think probably the best thing to come out of this in, in sort of Spurs' and, and Levy's inventive ways of uh, bringing in more income to try and keep up with these super rich clubs is um, he's going to set up some sort of agricultural academy, essentially. Well, not agricultural. I mean, the way that Mourinho played, maybe it was a bit on a farmer's field at the time. <laughs> Horticultural, maybe, is probably the better word, but like, you know, teaching you know young people to come through as apprentices and how to be ground staff and how to maintain pitches and, and all the science behind that. But so we kind of joked when we sold that pitch to Leeds for 300 grand. We all kind of choked on, yeah, we could do we could do this thing where we just grow pitches and sell them. It's actually happening. <laughs> it's actually going to be a thing. But it, it could be fairly exciting. I mean, 
nice little country park to, to roam around it, hopefully. Uh, and maybe we can get a Bielsa a little hide so we can stand in there and watch us train. <laughs> Is this your way of trying to invite us for the least athletic round of golf? Because the four of us on that course would not be a very pretty sight. <laughs> not after a Toby yeah. Carberry. Toby <laughs> <laughs> Carberry's the promise at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to miss right words. Your par under is how many teaspoons of gravy and you can have on you can have on on your food. White webs used to be amazing. I don't know if you remember going as a kid, Tom, but they had they had an indoor play for kids. Loved it. Um, probably the most fun I've ever had, especially being an adult now and having to put go through this and pretend that what she goes. By this, this got tragic quickly. Did you? Did you just mean life? When you're just like this, yeah. you just mean fucking adulthood. You mean like yeah. when he you sat there with his mortgage, washing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> that the was amazing. Owns. Anyway, we hope we don't have to wait another 72 days for us to release another podcast. Uh, hopefully it'll be a bit more regular now. We should see some probably more comings and goings at the club over the next few weeks. And obviously we'll be here to, to, to keep an eye on things. As the Euros progress, uh, we've got a little spin-off podcast. It's wherever you get this podcast. Um, but logo looks a bit different it's called third eye um it's a sort of uh, a shorter format where we just talk about anything in football really uh, a, a bit uh, a bit of a ramble at times but you know it, it's a good bit of a snappy fun and definitely as the euros progress and as england progress war it's going to get tasty uh, but yeah in the meantime stick with us cock and ball will have a little bit of a, a rebrand aren't we I don't, I don't know if ash has been fiddling around with uh, his photoshop yeah, you'll see a brand new cock. Ash has been fiddling with his cock and ball. And <laughs> nice new music, nice new artwork. It's almost like we're taking this more seriously than anything else in our lives. Apart from maybe we'll be able to go to a game for real um, person or even record a podcast in person. That would be nice. Or at least record one where it doesn't instantly go out of date because news. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.